You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jane, and good evening, everyone. If you haven't met me, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And if you'd like to follow along, go to service.coawest.com. And on the website, you'll see a graphic, which is a picture of my life in weeks. It's a poster that you can get online, which basically lays out how many uh, weeks you might have in the average lifespan. So if you live in a place like Australia, you'll probably live something like 80 years, and that works out at about 4,300 weeks. And I wonder how you feel about that. Like perhaps you think, wow, that's a lot of weeks, that's a lot of time. Or perhaps if you're more like me, you're thinking, wow, that is really not that many. Like it feels very finite. It feels like it's running out, particularly when you're like me and you're past halfway on that chart. It's interesting though that they break down our life into weeks because really that is uh, how we break our lives up too, aren't we? we? We use these little segments in our lives to kind of give definition to them. Uh, You think about how we have the rounds of a footy season every week or the weeks of school or work or Sunday services from Sunday to Sunday and regular commitments for your kids, you know, basketball training Tuesday night, youth group Friday night, whatever it is. And it's amazing how quickly these weeks fill up, isn't it? How they just kind of slip through our hands. You know how it is? It's kind of, oh, wow, it's Monday again. And then soon you're thinking, oh, great, it's Wednesday. I'm kind of wishing the week away. It's hump day. And then it's Friday and the weekend's here. And then before you know it, it's Monday again. It just happens so quickly. And kind of dominating these weeks is the rhythm of work and rest, Our weeks are defined by these things. I imagine most people here would work Monday to Friday and then rest on Saturday and Sunday. And yet we might not have thought a whole lot about how we worship God through these things in our work and our rest. It's almost like these things are just the stage or the setting or the backdrop for the rest of our lives. And if that's the case, then it'd be easy for us to just let them happen without really considering carefully how we do these things or how we can even worship God through them. And that's what I really want to talk about tonight. We're in week five of our series, The Vine, The Trellis and The Crow, where we're thinking about how we can develop a rule of life. A rule of life basically is a set of habits and rhythms that help us centre our lives on Jesus and then help us flourish and produce fruit. And work and rest must be a part of this because they're so central to who we are. We, we spend so much of our lives doing these things and I really want to help us think through how we can do them well. And so what I want to talk about tonight is both the value and the significance of work and rest. First of all, I want you to think about the blessing of work. 
We spend the vast majority of our waking life at work, traveling to or from work or getting ready for work. For the average person, that's 240 odd days a year, 48 weeks for 40 to 45 years. And then when we get home, there's a whole bunch of other work that needs to be done, like the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry, looking after kids if you've got kids. Uh, work dominates all of our lives. But it doesn't just dominate our schedules, it dominates our personalities, it helps shape who we are and affects our emotions and our well-being. Uh, the professor Stephen Feynman says, work, paid or unpaid, voluntary or obligatory, is woven into the fabric of all human societies to become part of our identities and key to life's narrative. In fact, perhaps the best measure of the importance of work is what happens when we don't have it. Australia's unemployment rate is at 3.5%. That's 500,000 people, although there's almost double that who are underemployed. And unemployment has a serious impact on people. Uh, I'm told that it has kind of grief-like symptoms, scientists say, and an increased likelihood of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, depression. And if you've been unemployed or underemployed or you're struggling looking for work right now, I'm sure you can understand how this can happen. You feel flat, perhaps you feel restless, frustrated, not just because you're stressed about uh, your next pay packet, but, you, but there's something deeper than that. It's actually that you need to work. There's something within us that needs to work. Now, why is that exactly? Well, I think it comes right back all the way to the story of Genesis and how the Bible begins. See, the Bible begins with these epic words. Genesis 1, verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that tells us something very important, that God himself works. He created the heavens and the earth. That was his work. And that means fundamentally that work itself is a good and noble and valuable thing. See, God is good. He only does things that are valuable and worthwhile. He works. So work itself must be valuable and important. Timothy Keller in his book, Every Good Endeavour, says, work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something that human beings were created to do but was beneath God. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. And so work could not have a more exalted inauguration. So God works. And then as we read on, we discover that God made us to work. Genesis 1.26 says that we were made in his image and likeness. And so that means we were made to work. God works. He makes us in his image. And so we work. In Genesis 2, God puts Adam and Eve to work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That means that work is fundamental to who we are. It helps us be human. It's what we were created to do. Keller again says work is as much a basic need as food and rest and friendship and prayer. We need to work to live fully human lives. And that's why it's so hard if we don't have work. But it also shows how valuable it is that, uh, that work is in our lives. See, sometimes we think of work as a kind of intruder, that is somehow contrary to human nature, and that the ideal state for us would be that we were just on holiday or uh, sipping a drink by the beach. But actually, we need work. And it's amazing how often we realise this. Like you, you think about, oh, I can't wait till I'm on holiday or I can't wait to have that day off. 
and you build it up and you have all these plans for what it's going to be like and so often it falls flat. You get up and on your day off and you just end up spending two hours scrolling through Facebook and you feel frustrated and by the end of the day you're a bit crabby, you just feel a bit unused perhaps. You know, it just hasn't been a fulfilling day. Or you finally get on leave and you're sick because you've just been so exhausted and you finally get ready, uh, get better uh, by the second week but then you're bored and you don't know what to do and you're actually thinking, wow, maybe I need to go back to work. Like, why is that? Well, it's because we were made to work. It's part of who we are. And what exactly is our work or his the third thing, we were made to work with God and for God. He created us in his image so that we could come and work alongside him, come and work with our heavenly father. You remember when you were a kid and they have that go to work with dad day? Well, here it is. We get to go to work with our heavenly father. And our task is to work with him to help creation flourish. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the animals. Now, at first we kind of balk at those words, subdue and dominion. We, we imagine it sounds like something like we're destroying the world, but far from it. God is actually asking us to do something positive with the world. As Keller explains, God leaves creation with this deep untapped potential that people are supposed to unlock through our labour. So God has placed all of this potential in this world and our work brings that out. That's what we're here to do. And as we bring that out, the world flourishes. So, for instance, we, we study God's world, we look at it and we, we see some wood and we think, okay, what can I do with this? And we, we create a building. And we're able to do that. Or we see a crop and we, we, we see that we can get food from that and we think, how can we maximise this and we'll harvest that? Or perhaps it's a little more subtle. You observe the laws of physics and then you think through how we can harness those things for technology or you see the potential in a child and think, how can we invest in this person to help them be all that they are? Whatever it is, we're helping creation flourish. God has put potential in this thing and it's our job to bring it out. And in fact, as we bring the potential out of these things, God brings the potential out of us as well. So as we're doing this work, as we're helping things flourish, we too flourish. We discover how God has wired us and what he's placed within us so that we can do something great in his world. See, some people can look at a spreadsheet and see a pattern They've got that ability. They've got that natural ability to do that. Other people look at a machine and they can imagine how it works and they, they can fix it. I mean, I look at a machine and it just breaks if I look at it. Well, some of you can see a, a horde of five-year-olds and instead of running away, you want to go in there. Like they, We are wired in different ways. We're equipped also that we can do different things in God's world. We are all enabled to to do these things and help creation flourish. And as we use these gifts, we flourish as well. So do you see the blessing of work? Like work is something significant, something extraordinary, something good that we can enjoy. And I think we need to remind ourselves of this. Because we stray into this idea of feeling frustrated by it or resenting it, I think we need to remind ourselves regularly of the value of work. 
this series is all about developing these kind of rhythms and habits that help keep Jesus central to our lives. So how can we do that with work? Well, one thing is perhaps we, we need to remind ourselves regularly of who's the boss, who's the real boss. Colossians 3, Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Like we're serving God himself. He is the ultimate boss. And that's true whatever you're doing. I say that because there's this common misconception that the only Christian work is sort of uh, mission or, or being a pastor or something like that. But no, actually all work is God's work because we're seeking to help creation flourish. We're, we're being part of God's work in this world. Robert Graves says, who you work for is more significant than what you do or where you work. And if that's the case, then we should all work heartily, as Paul puts it. We should work hard. We should take pride in our work. Because ultimately that's how God works, isn't it? You know, we, we, he created this world. That was his work. And you think about how he did it. He did it with such great painstaking love and care. Psalm 139, he, he knit us together. He delights in the work that he made. He's proud of what he's doing. He takes pride in it. So that's how we should work. Dorothy says, says, the only Christian work is good work, well done. In fact, that's how Jesus worked, of course. She goes on to say, no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever came out of the carpenter shop in Nazareth. No, no, this was the God who created all the heavens and the earth and all the stars. He did that with love and care and he also did it with love and care when he made the chair or the table for his neighbour down the street. And so we should take the same approach. We should work heartily because God is our boss. And then secondly, I think we need to ask God to reveal himself to us and through us in our work. What I mean is because all of our work is part of God's larger work, we can actually see his character and then show his character through our work. What I mean is, for instance, if, if uh, you're a carpenter, you have the chance to reflect on how God created things. If you're an engineer, thinking about how God, the, the wonder of the laws of physics and how he's brought all of these things together and, and how he's a great problem solver and, and God does all of these things. You can experience that and then show that through your work. If you're a teacher, then revel in the fact that God wants us to learn and grow, that he's, he's made us like that, and then, then share that passion, show that passion through your work. So this week, maybe just sit down and, and spend some time thinking through what is significant and different and, and important, unique about my work. What is the character of God here? You know, perhaps you're showing God's servant heart in the work that you do, or the way he seeks to welcome all people. Whatever it is, try to find that and thank him for it and then ask that he will continue to equip you to do that, to show him through your work. And really I think we need to remind ourselves of the blessing of work. Maybe, maybe every Monday as you're driving to work or whatever, just pray. Spend some time praying, thanking God for this work. Thanking God for the opportunity to do it. Asking that those who don't have work will get work 
and asking him to show you himself through your work and then that you can show him. Maybe you can put a verse on your desk or a screensaver or something like that. So work is a good thing. It's a glorious thing even. God works. He made us to work. He made us to work with him and for him. And as we do that, do this work, he reveals himself to us and through us. It's, it's a good thing. And yet, it's course, of course, it's possible for us to have too much of a good thing. For a long time, Australia was known as the land of the long weekend. Basically, we were seen as a bunch of bludgers. Now, it is pretty remarkable that here in Melbourne, uh, we now have two holidays for sporting events, the grand final and the Melbourne Cup. In fact, it's the second one. Most people take two days off for a three-minute race. And I did hear that we were about to get a public holiday if the Matildas win the World Cup. So we do love our sporting public holidays. But our reputation as being lazy is actually a little bit outdated. Uh, last year, Australians logged almost 2 million hours of work per month. That's collectively, not just individually. Uh, the average working week is supposed to be 38 hours, if you include, uh, don't take away lunchtime. And, and, and one study a few years back found that two-thirds of full-time workers do more than 40, and around 270,000 people work more than 70 hours a week. In fact, they instituted this thing called Go Home on Time Day just to get people out of the office. Between us, Australians have somewhere between 100 and uh, somewhere like 185 million days of unused leave. As many as one third of people haven't been on a holiday in over a year. What's going on here? I mean, we need rest, right? We, we physically need rest. Our bodies need that rest. We need it mentally and emotionally as well. If you've had ever experienced something like burnout, then you know what we need. Uh, the Jews used to talk about a, a Sabbath that comes from the word Shabbat, which basically means to rest or stop or cease from work. And surely that's what we need. And you'd think that that would be what we'd want. Like we keep hearing and we, we see a photo of someone sitting on the beach and we think that's what I'd like to have, that's where I want to be, I want to be on holiday. So why do we keep working so hard? Why won't we rest? Well, for some people it's peer pressure. You know, when someone asks how you've been or what you've been up to, it's very hard not to just say, oh, pretty, I've been pretty busy. You know, we, we equate busyness with significance. We need to be productive, that's to how we feel a part of society, and so we need to feel busy. Or perhaps if you want to get a promotion, you have to prove that you're going to work hard, and so the boss sets the standard, you have to match that. So there's peer pressure. And then I think also there's financial pressure. Almost a million Australians now have more than one job, and that, that number is going up and up as people feel the bite of mortgage strain or cost of living pressures. But the reality is there's actually always pressure with our work because there's just so much to do. It never feels like it's finished. Uh, I've got this new fad at the moment on Facebook Reels <laughs> watching lawn mowing videos. <laughs> You'll see some massively overgrown garden and then this guy comes in 
and he cuts it all back and at quick speed you see him whizzing around with his whippersnipper and suddenly you see that there's actually like a concrete path. You had no idea that was even there and it all looks so neat and so beautiful and it's, it's strangely captivating. But as I'm watching it, there's always this nagging thought at the back of my head. So I'm thinking, what's this going to be like in a month? Like this hasn't been mown for like two years. They're not going to mow it again. It's all just going to be back the way it was. It, it, what's the point of the work that this guy is doing? And work so often feels like that, doesn't it? It takes them a year to paint the Sydney Harbour Bridge, so as soon as they've finished it, they have to start again. And you see this in your own work too. It, it's never finished. It's always happening. You're working on a big project. You're slaving away at it. It consumes you. But you console yourself with the knowledge that soon it'll be done and, and then your space will be free, your mind will be clear. But what happens? As soon as you finish it, there's another project and then another one. There's always more work to be done. It's never finished. And that's because ultimately the Bible says there's a curse on work. It's actually been there since the Garden of Eden. See, we started with the beauty of work in the garden, how, how good it was that God was working and humans, Adam and Eve, were working with him and for him. It's all in place. It's going well. But that's all shattered by sin. In Genesis 3, the devil tempts Adam and Eve away from God, suggesting that working for God is holding them back, that actually they should just go out on their own and start their own thing, that they can manage the world without him, start their own business, so to speak. But as soon as they try this, they find out that the startup, so to speak, doesn't go so well. Because the world doesn't function properly when we're not working with God. Our sin corrupts the world and actually turns creation against us. That's how God describes it in Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground, he says to Adam, because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now the writer Sebastian Traeger describes it like this. Once the earth had eagerly produced its fruit, almost holding it out with eager hands and begging Adam and Eve to take it, but now the earth became stingy, withheld its riches, and so humans were forced to labour hard and painfully to get them. Creation is working against us. In fact, the Latin word for labour uh, is basically means uh, extreme effort associated with pain. And so, so we use that word to describe our work because that's what it's become, extreme effort associated with pain. That's because the world is working against us. But the world does, uh, the curse doesn't just affect the world, it actually affects our hearts. Creation is working against us, but we're also working against our Creator. See, we've begun to work for the wrong motives. We work to just make money, perhaps, rather than to bless others. We pillage creation for short-term gain rather than giving it space to flourish. Ultimately, we're working to make our own identity. We're working to create ourselves. This is what Tim Keller calls the work under the work. See, we're, there's a task, but there's this thing, thing underneath that. 
And really what's happening here is we're, we're not just making something, we're trying to make someone, we're trying to make ourselves, but it's separate to God, it's independent of God. This is the work that we're doing. We're trying to create ourselves and it stops us from resting. You see, if work makes me who I am, how can I stop doing it? If work gives me my place in this world, I can't risk losing that. And so even if things go well, that actually makes things harder. So, so you make more profit and then there's more to lose. You work your way up the corporate ladder and so there's further to fall. You do well once and everyone expects you to do well again every time. That's ultimately why we can't rest the way we need to. So before we come to the practical problem of rest and how we can practically rest in good ways, we have to address the spiritual issue. See, we won't be able to rest physically until we rest spiritually, and we can find that rest in Jesus, in the work of Jesus. See, God could have given up on us. He could have sacked us. We're bad employees, so to speak. But he loves us so much that he goes to work to save us. His work has two aspects, two components. The first is he did what we failed to do. See, we were supposed to work with God and for God and to do that perfectly. We didn't do that, but Jesus has. He gave his whole life to helping all things flourish. And now that work is credited to our account. God, God looks at us and sees what Jesus has done for us. He sees Jesus' work and accepts us on that. So Jesus did what we failed to do, and then he made up for what we did do. He made up for our sins. You see, when we're going separate from God, we're, we're walking away from him, that is sin and that has consequences. God has to do something about that. Justice demands that. And Jesus absorbs that justice. He takes it on himself. He, he does what no one else can do, what we can't do. He, he pays for our sin by dying. And do you remember what he said on the cross? Just as he's dying, he says, it is finished. Right? Job done. We never see the end of our work. It's always ongoing. But for Jesus, he completed the task. He had the task of dying for us and he did it. It is finished. And now he says to us, he invites us to rest in that work. He says to us, cease, rest in me. But this can be surprisingly hard to do. See, even, though, even when we've finally accepted that we need Jesus, it's very hard to not try and earn God's favour. All of our instincts are that we have to work to impress God, to make it up to him. And that's how it works in the office, doesn't it? If you, if you let the boss down, then you have to work really hard to get back in their good books to get your reward. That's how it works. But that's not how it works with God. We can't work our way back to him. And even when we try, we just keep stuffing up. 
But the glorious truth of the Christian message is that we don't have to work our way back. Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works. We can't work our way back to God, but we don't have to. Jesus has done all that we need. We can't ever do enough, but Jesus has done more than enough. And so we can rest in him. We can stop trying to work God's favour, work for God's favour, and rest in the work of Christ. So will we do that? Will we rest in him? I mentioned the word Sabbath before, you know, the ceasing and the resting from work. Hebrews 4 talks about the ultimate Sabbath. The ultimate rest is when we rest in Jesus. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works. Right? Are we willing to rest from our works and trust in the work of Jesus? See, we can rest because Jesus has done everything. The work under the work, the making of ourselves, we don't need to do that anymore because Jesus has done everything that we need. And if we can truly rest like this, we will find the freedom for physical rest. If we can find the spiritual rest, then we can find the secret for physical rest. And I want us to consider the blessing of rest. In our reading today, we heard about the Jewish command of the Sabbath. Exodus 20 is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, I should say there's actually a lot of debate about the Sabbath. Is it still uh, applicable for us after Jesus? If it is, then what day should we do it on? The Jews celebrated on Saturday. Is that when we're supposed to do it? And, and then this whole idea of, of keeping it holy, what does that mean? What does it look like for us to do? I'm not actually going to go into all the details of that. That's a big debate. We could have a sermon or a few sermons on that. But I do want to bring out some principles that I think we can see here. And the first is that we need, this shows us that we need regular rest, that God has created us to have rest. We need annual rhythms of holidays, of proper time away from work. We need, we need daily rhythms. I always find if I work until 9 o'clock, then I can't relax after that. I can't sleep properly. So I need daily rhythms of rest. And we need weekly rhythms. Here's something that God has laid out, one day in seven of rest. In fact, I was reading something fascinating about this during the week. In the 1790s in France, Napoleon Bonaparte introduced a 10-day week because he wanted to increase the productivity of the country, and it totally backfired. The economy crashed, the suicide rate skyrocketed, productivity went down. So there's something deep within humanity that needs a different rhythm, and it seems like God has placed this rhythm of seven days, weeks, into our bodies we need rest, and so we need to guard it. We need to schedule it in. We need to block it out. We need to commit to it. We need to turn off our phone if that's what helps us to do that. Don't check your emails. We need to empty the day of work, to cease and stop from working. 
But this is not just a, a physical need. There's something more to it than that. So as we read on in verse 11, it says that God himself rested. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Now, now why did God do that? He didn't need it. He wasn't pooped. But he wanted to. There was something that he wanted in this. And so the Sabbath is not just about stopping work. It's not just about emptying the day. It's about filling it, filling it with rest. God seems to rest so that he can delight in his creation, to delight in good things. And I think he's saying the same to us. He's offering us the chance to delight once a week, to delight in the good things around us. As one writer puts it, to delight in the world, in our lives, in it, and above all, in God himself. And so we empty the day of work so that we can fill it with rest. He wants us to delight. This should be the best day of the week, the happiest day of the week. But how do we do this? What does it involve? Well, first of all, I think it's, it's delighting in God himself. All of life is worship, but there's sometimes where we're more focused and direct in that, like when we're reading the Bible or we're praying or something like that, we're, we're more directly worshipping God. And I think we need to make space for this in our Sabbath, in our days off. Uh, maybe you can start your day with this kind of rest. It's, it's hard to gear down from work, but perhaps what you can do is just spend some time thanking God for the work that you've achieved over the past week, thanking him for the ways he showed up. You've seen him in your work. Maybe you can bring your anxieties about the work for next week. Bring that to him, you know, write it down so he's there and then just leave it. Stop with it. Put it aside. And then spend extended time in God's word. It could be a bit manic while we're working, so just kind of stretch out and enjoy your time with God. Maybe you can go for a prayer walk. Reflect on the gospel. This is a big part of uh, the fourth commandment for the Jews in Deuteronomy 5, when they're given the same commandment, it's because he wants them to remember how God has rescued them, has saved them from Egypt. And we have an even bigger thing to celebrate. So on our Sabbath, spend time reminding yourselves of what Jesus has done for you. Remind yourself of his salvation. All of this, we, we need to just spend time delighting in God. As John Mark Comer puts it, stop long enough to experience him. And then secondly, delight in God's people. When I was in my early 20s, I was part of a church in Melton, Melton Presbyterian Church. There's a church of about 100, 120 people, and uh, there were stacks of people my age. I was about um, probably 20, 30 guys, and we're all in the same kind of age, age and stage of, of life. And after the service on Sunday, we'd all go back to the pastor's house and we'd have this massive lunch. Um, it cost a fortune, as I think, back to it now. And we would just hang out all afternoon and we'd play a bit of sport and we'd laugh and we'd joke and then we'd study the Bible together and we'd learn stuff from the pastor. He'd teach us and train us. And it was just, they were the best days, just wonderful times. And, and really what was happening was I was delighting in God's people. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, God has made us 
joined us together. We are the body of Christ. We're connected like this, bound together. And it's vital for us to remind ourselves of that. So on our days off, you know, it's a Sunday, make sure you, you first of all come to, the, come to a worship service, come to a service here. We've got this time together, so come and, and enjoy that and stay around as long as you can afterwards. Get to know God's people, get to know other people, share time together. And then make Sunday an event. Go out for a coffee with someone before church or have a family over for lunch. Feast together. Maybe, maybe you can serve together. Maybe go and visit someone who's in need. Whatever it is, delight in God's people. Just had this massive barbecue at someone's house this afternoon. I was so bloated. But it was just so great. Like 20 people just hanging out, enjoying each other's fellowship and, and caring for each other. This is, this is how we need to be living. Let's, let's make our Sundays events, happy days. And then thirdly, let's delight in God's good gifts. As we saw last week, God is a God that we can delight in. He's a generous God. James 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And we honour him when we enjoy these good things. So when you rest, enjoy his goodness. Take some time to enjoy creation. Someone was telling me just before, they were walking along the beach today. Go for a, a walk in a forest perhaps or Enjoy your hobbies, curl up in a, with a good book on the chair, have a nap. Uh, the Jews actually have a word for this, the, the Shabbat schluff. So have a good schluff on a Sunday. Like just really enjoy that. Really just look for anything that makes you worship, that makes you thankful that there is a God and reminds you that he is a good God. John Mark Comer in his, uh, describes it as a once-a-week celebration of all that is good in God's world. And he suggests asking these questions, what could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with a deep joy, that would make me spontaneously combust with wonder and awe and gratitude and praise? Whatever that is, do that. Now, this all probably sounds pretty exciting, hopefully. This is the kind of thing that we want to have, but it also might sound a bit impossible. You know, we're, we're thinking through how do we have rhythms? How on earth am I going to make this rhythm? And I think particularly, for, I often think, how on earth does the President of the, the United States have a day off? I often think about this question. But I also think, of like, how do you do it if you're, say, a parent and you've got little kids? Like, how on earth do you do this? I do think we have to be a little bit realistic about this. It can be difficult, but it's not impossible. Now, perhaps you can do shifts, for instance. I was chatting to a guy the other day uh, who was explaining how he and his wife give each other time off. So one week, uh, he'll stay, he'll, he'll take the kids out for a few hours and she can just do nothing. And then the next week they swap it around or maybe you change it on Saturday, Sunday, whatever it is. Uh, but also it's an opportunity to bring your kids into your Sabbath, to make it a family day, go on an adventure, go for a, a walk down by the river or play a board game, have a family night, a movie night. Maybe you can make it a, a yes day. You know, you, one of the most tiring things about parenting is you're having to constantly say no, like no, you can't do that or it's not good for you or stop having that lolly, whatever it is. 
So maybe just have a yes day. You know, can we play video games? Yes. Can we have that lolly? Yes. Can we play with this paint and this glitter? Yes. No, no, actually, no, you can't do that. But <laughs> whatever it is, try, try to have a fun time together. But also we, we need to consider how uh, all of us need to have this time off. So maybe you're a single person who's living on your own and you've got a lot to do on your time off. You know, you've got to do all the shopping, you've got to do all the cleaning, you've got to uh, find lots of things that you there's so many things you have to do, work out the bills. So maybe as a church we can be supporting each other. Maybe there's ways in which we can come alongside other people and make sure that they have space to enjoy God's goodness as well. All of this is we're inviting God to, to make this the best day of our week. And really this comes down to trust. See, we're constantly working and we have these busy lives and the idea of putting all of that down is a bit scary. We worry that we can't do this, that it's not going to work. And so it's an act of trust. It's trusting that God's vision for us is actually helpful, trusting that he'll look after us if we follow it. You see, there's always going to be more work to do. That's what the curse says. We know that the work is going to continue. The Sydney Harbour Bridge constantly has to be painted. There's always a reason not to rest. And so taking a Sabbath is a defiant acknowledgement of our need. It's saying, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to rest. I know you designed me this way, and so I trust you. And ultimately, resting will help us rest in Jesus. I was talking to someone the other day, uh, today, after the morning service, who said that actually the Sabbath was one of the things that helped her come to a deeper faith. She'd grown up in a Christian family, but it wasn't really living as a Christian herself, it wasn't really hers. And she was at uni and uh, one of the lecturers, must have been a Christian, said, God has Placed us, God has given us a, a desire and need to have a rest every week. So I want you to not work on Sunday. I want you to not do your study on Sunday. And she's like, okay, I'll give that a go. And she ended up just succeeding really well in her classes. And everyone's like, how did you do this? She said, well, I, I just tried to take a rest. And then she realized that actually God was doing something within her as she did this. And that opened her heart to God in a more profound way. She started to rest in Jesus, not just physically, but also spiritually. And that's what we can do. Every week as we rest physically, we remind ourselves of our spiritual rest. We stop our work so that we can rest in Christ's work. The curse on work means that in this world, our physical work is never complete. But the work under the work is. We don't have to keep striving to make ourselves because Jesus is making us again in his image. We can rest because he has worked for us. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you for the way that you've created us. You've created us to work and to work with you and for you, and we thank you for the honour and the dignity of that. Uh, we acknowledge, though, how difficult it can be 
and how we are so tempted to overwork. So, Lord, help us to rest. Help us to rest spiritually, first of all, to rest in Jesus, to stop trying to work for ourselves and to honour you and to acknowledge your goodness, to rest in Christ's work for us. And then help us to enjoy the goodness that you have on offer for us. Help us to delight in you. Make this a, a pattern and a rhythm in our hearts and our lives where we rest in you and delight in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.